the end. Been doing these rivers. This is the end of the Old Testament rivers. I got a couple New Testament bodies of water or uh, things that I want to talk about in the next couple weeks. I want to talk about Jesus' baptism. It's changing it up. Water to water to wine. <laughs> talk about water to wine. Um, and then I think I have one or two more after that. But for sure, the woman at the so baptism, water to wine, woman at the well. And I think we'll then trace it all the way to Revelation again, the river of life. Um, and we'll just sing, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. You down for that, Brian? Um, so Psalm 137 this morning, and we'll read it. And I'm going to do three things this morning. I want to talk about smashing things. I want to talk a little bit about the history of Psalm uh, 137. And then I want to kind of guide us, and this is what the pads are for, is a prayer um, through Psalm 137. So if you got a Bible, Psalm 137. hard to go back inside on days like today, huh? It is so nice outside today. No wind, beautiful sunshine. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy are those who repay you according to what you have done to us. Happy are those who seize your infants and smash them against the rocks. So, what stands out in this passage? Bob Marley song? Okay, so Bob Marley, and then what? Modest Yahoo? Yahoo? Oh, yeah, that was. We got the music thing going on this morning. So Bob Marley, Modest Yahoo. Yeah? Anything else stand out as we're looking at this passage? The smashing of the infants against the rocks? It's just kind of a nice crescendo here to this, this, this passage. Um, I want to do this because I want to talk about the smashing piece because when you read it, that can be distracting, right? So you're reading this and you're thinking like, this guy has kind of gone a little psychotic. How can, you know, like how can I then take what he said, the previous things? I don't want to say seriously, but it's, it, it can be a little bit of a noise when you read this last sentence about happy are those 
or the message says a reward, like you're going to get a reward if you grab the babies of Babylon and smash their heads on rocks, right? So this kind of end piece can be a little bit of a, a, a tricky piece. So I just want to talk about this for a little bit, and then we'll talk a little bit about the history of the psalm and then this prayer. Um, the three thoughts that I have on this are that, and I have so many whiteboard colors, I'm, I'm kind of excited right now. The first thing I want to talk about would be, I would say, I'll just put our perspective. So it's interesting when we read this because, again, we kind of get to the end here and it feels a bit like um, just anger that's gone awry, right? Like he just, he's lamenting and then all of a sudden his anger takes over and he's like, he's kind of gone to the nuclear route. He goes a little bit psychotic with all this violence. But the cry underneath the cry for, for this kind of, this baby smashing, i, I got to be careful what I'm saying with people walking around like, what are you talking about? The cry underneath the cry with this is, is for protection or defense. So one of the commentators that I was reading, he had, had I think the commentator was commentating from another commentator, so this is like third party business by this point, but there was a man named David Tuesday Adamo, and he was a Nigerian commentator. So he was, he was an African commentator. And he comments on the fact that the prominence of a prayer for God's punishment of one's enemies in such a psalm, it troubles us in Western Christianity, right? Like we read this psalm and we're like, man, this kind of is, is really strange. But he says, it does not so trouble African indigenous churches. They interpret it as a prayer for protection and defense. So when we get to this end part, part of it is our cultural conditioning, right? Part of it is just maybe our Western kind of culture and modern sensibilities. And when you think about the Bible, which was written across time to multiple different cultures, to people living in different geography, governments, human experience, the Bible will at some point trouble everyone at some level. Right now, I don't want to excuse or just explain this away as like, hey, you know, just because it's right for your culture to smash babies' heads against rocks, I'm not trying to say that. But I do say that that it, it speaks so broadly that at some point it will offend and trouble us all. And our perspective might be a little limited to like, hey, this this you know this isn't right. But at least in modern times and in antiquity, we have to understand that that people might not be highly offended by this or that there might be other cultures who would interpret this in a different way than the way that we would. You with me on that? So that's like the first thing I would say about the smashing thing. The second thing is I want to talk about the placeholder of Babylon. Babylon as the placeholder. In some senses, Babylon becomes a placeholder, or, or maybe we could even say a metaphor. And the phrase that I would use underneath this would be, this is the phrase that I kind of want to hone in on here for this placeholder. I want to use Babylon as kind of a placeholder, as a metaphor, 
the location, the source, and the phrase that I want to say here is broken oppressiveness or oppressive brokenness, right? It's pagan chaos. It's barren idolatry. When you think of the word um, or the city, Las Vegas, what immediately comes to mind? Sin City, right? In some senses, Las Vegas kind of carries behind it, right? This, it's, it becomes a placeholder as a place of gambling, sin, debauchery, licentiousness, like all the kind of stuff that you're not supposed to do. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? I would like to use Babylon in that same kind of way. But instead of Sin City, I would say oppressive brokenness or broken oppressiveness. Think about this for a second. When I say this, all of us at some level are broken, right? We sin, we make mistakes, we, um, we blow it, we, we have um, a lot of difficult things happen in our life. But then there's also what I would say, there, there's kind of an oppressiveness to that brokenness, right? And what I mean by that is, when you think about a person trapped under the weight of substance abuse, right? And they've battled again and again and again, and they can't break the cycle. And you're literally watching this person spiral downwards. Anybody ever seen that, right? And you watch this person and, and this brokenness, right, which we all have in common, but there's a different sort of oppressiveness, there's a different sort of oppression or dominance that kind of invades and takes over that brokenness, right? A couple other examples would be maybe a young woman or, or even a young man who has an eating disorder and that eventually drives them to suicide. And you watch this person, you watch this oppression taking over their brokenness. You could think about an act of adultery or multiple acts of adultery that are destroying families. Molly, I was thinking about you this week when I was thinking about parents who are physically abusive to children, right? There is a brokenness, but there is this oppression that comes alongside of it. The other examples, the other ones I have, deep-seated arrogance and pride from a pastor or priest. We've seen this where pastors or priests, they get so arrogant and so self-righteous that they, that again, it's, bro- it's brokenness, but it begins to be oppressive. Gambling that spirals out of control and families forced to sell everything and the father can't stop or the mother can't stop. So when you think about Babylon here, again, the, the phrase that I want to use here, again, not sin city, but I want to say this oppressive brokenness or this broken oppressiveness would be the placeholder for Babylon. And when you, when you would trace the source of all these things, of substance abuse, eating disorders, adultery, physical child abuse, pedophilia, per, uh, child pornography, gambling, arrogance, right? When you trace the source all the way back, um, you have to, or there should be, necessarily so, a severe and shocking disgust and indignation that the language that you would use to speak about that condition would need to match the destruction you're witnessing. Does that make sense? When he uses this shocking language of of doing this to little children, it's because he is simply tracing the source back of all this oppressive brokenness and says, I want to see it so destroyed, so rooted out, so beyond gone, that even the children, even the littlest things in the world would not survive. Babylon needs annihilation so drastic that even the heads 
of the babies are smashed upon the rocks. The author simply matching the broken oppression with the severity of the actions needed to break free. So when you think about this thing, again, we have a different cultural perspective. Babylon becomes a placeholder. And then I want to just talk about real quick. Christ in Babylon, right? Christ in Babylon. Again, if you, say, if you trace this source of, of broken oppressiveness back to Babylon, right? We could ask this question from a New Testament perspective. Who is the one who descends into Babylon, right? Again, kind of metaphorically. Who is the one who descends into Babylon and takes the destruction on himself? Say that again. Moses, no. It's right here. It's a... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> right? <laughs> From a New Testament perspective, right, it is Christ who descends, again, into Babylon and takes the destruction upon himself. It is God's own son whose head is not dashed on the rocks but is crowned with thorns, who is arrested and seized so that Babylon's power could be broken, could be emptied, and that humanity could once again be freed and liberated and redeemed and saved, right? As the psalmist is calling upon, again, the psalmist is kind of speaking in the third person. Blessed is he, right? Blessed is whoever does this. Because the psalmist is helpless to do this. As the psalmist is calling upon God to smash these babies' heads on rocks, right? God agrees. He says, okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. But I'm going to send my son and, I'm gonna, and he'll take it upon his shoulders. He will take it upon his head, all the oppression and all the brokenness and all the pain and all the hurt. And he will be the one that liberates. So, one verse down. Is that good for Psalm 137 there? Verse, uh, is that verse 9. Okay, now, again, so we can now be free to engage the rest of the psalm because we get to that last part and it's very hard for us to, to kind of hear and see. Let's jump into um, a little bit of the history. If you want, as we've done a couple um, weeks here and there, if you wanted to open up a map application and look, uh, you could just look at the Euphrates River. There's two major rivers that kind of flow through modern-day Iraq, the Tigris and the Euphrates. Uh, this psalm most likely takes place or is written um, at the Euphrates River, about 600 miles from Jerusalem. So if you're thinking about, hey, at some point I think that'd be a good hike, imagine you were forced to march. Um, well, the average person, say, could walk about three miles an hour. And imagine you were forced to walk for 10 hours a day. So you're talking 30 miles a day. You're talking about 20 days to make it. And that's hiking a lot per day, right? So it, they are forcibly removed from their homes and forced to go to this pagan land. And here they are by this river, the Euphrates River in Babylon. Now, how did they get there? How did the Israelites end up in Babylon? Okay, a little Old Testament history. Do you remember in, um, in the book of Exodus, when we open up the books of Exodus, where are the Israelites at at the, at the opening of Exodus? In what country? Starts with an E. Egypt, 
right? They're in Egypt. They're slaves in Egypt. And God says, hey, I'm going to liberate you. I'm going to free you. I'm going to set you free. Yahweh rescues them and liberates them from Egypt. They wander throughout the desert. They move into the promised land. And literally a couple uh, decades later, not two, or not decades, a couple centuries later, right? Uh, there's the United Kings, the United Kingdom, the, all the tribes come together. Uh, the, the, the high moment of the Israelite history is under King David. Then his son Solomon, all the wealth, the splendor, the temple, right? This is the high moment of the, of the history of Israel, right? And then in 1 Kings chapter 5, you get this interesting little nugget that Solomon now has underneath him 30,000 slaves. How did they get from being slaves to now owning slaves, right? And there's a number of reasons, but we talked about this last week. One of the, the, the things that happens is they just forget Yahweh. We talked last week, we said, the greatest enemy of faith is forgetfulness, right? The greatest enemy of faith is forgetfulness. They just forgot. That's part of it. There was other reasons too, but they just forgot. So they turn away from Yahweh again and again. They turn to idols, power structures of this world. They are using violence now to protect Solomon's wealth. They are oppressing their neighbors. And so this kind of just continues to spiral out of control. There's civil war, right? So now you have a northern kingdom called Israel. You have a southern kingdom called Judah, right? Assyria comes into the northern kingdom. They invade the northern kingdom and they exile the northern, the Israelites out of, um, out of Israel into Assyria. And then a few decades later, the southern kingdom, Judah, is invaded by Babylon. And in this text, in Psalm 137, we find the remnants, the, the leftover people, the people from the southern kingdom of Judah who again have been forcibly removed from their homes. They've been told to vacate these family farms that they've owned for decades, maybe centuries. Their city is in ruins. Their temple is torn down. Their religion is gone. In the Old Testament mindset, God resided in a certain geographical location. So to be taken from that geographical location, to be taken from Jerusalem, meant that your religion, that God was no longer present with them, right? And some people believe that here on the Euphrates River, they're being forced to dig irrigation canals off of the river to help the, the empire that's oppressing them, right? Alongside Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps, their captors are tormenting them for songs, right? Here's where they are by the rivers of Babylon. So one of the pastors that I, um, I was reading this week had a really interesting kind of template for prayer for this passage that was really um, instructful and really helpful for me. And what I want us to do is I want us to write down a couple of these prayer prompts and we're going to use this throughout the week. Okay, or I'm encouraging you to use this throughout the week, to, to use this, again, kind of as a template for prayer, a way to help us pray this week. So this pastor, um, as he used this template, um, I think I got enough room here.
the first thing that he says, uh, the first thing that he was uh, instructing, you know, kind of as a prayer, and, what, and again, write this down, and then you'll kind of use this throughout the week, um, that there's weeping or lament over loss of intimacy with God because of disobedience. Okay. Weeping, lamenting over loss of intimacy with God because of disobedience. Right? Disobedience. Again, verse 1, 2, here they are. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. When we remembered Zion, there on the poplars, we hung our harps. Um, the question that I would pose in this, and here's what I want you to write down and even take a few minutes. Where in your life maybe have, this is, this is like that old school kind of fire and brimstone church. Where in your life have you been disobedient? <laughs> but where in your life have we been disobedient? And by disobedient, we talk all the time about listening to the voice of God or listening for God's voice and then responding appropriately. Where have we not done that? Where have we been disobedient? Now, the problem with myself, too, because sometimes I'm like, no, nah, I really haven't been disobedient. I've been, I've been like, good, you know, like I'm kind of getting a B plus this semester in the Jesus thing, right? We're biased and we're blind to our own disobedience often. So let me give you a few um, prompts to think about. Is there lust in your life? And that could be a sexual lust. That could be a lust for other things in the sense of jealousy where you see somebody else's truck or car. Is there lust or jealousy that has been disobedient? Is there arrogance or pride in which you look down on those people below you? Is there indifference to where you just kind of have given up, you've resigned? Are you quick to speak and slow to listen? Have you been irritable with those around you? Have you been short or demanding? Is there unnecessary worry or anxiety that you can't stop thinking about what's going to happen and you are unable to, unable to live in the moment and the day that Christ has given you? Has there been moments where you've been ashamed of Christ? Where people have been talking about God or been putting him down? And you haven't spoke up because you've been ashamed. Do you lay in bed at night and think about that person who you're going to tell off the next day at work and play that fantasy out in your mind? Have you been stingy in generosity? Right? There are all these areas that we have been disobedient. Right? And the question I would say too, is there a sense of loss with that? Right? Is there a sense of, Man, my intimacy that I used to have with God is being broken, is being separated because of these things that are happening in my life. Or is God, the way that most of us unhealthily view God, is he's the big grandpa up in the sky and he's just smiles and sunsets and pats us on the back regardless of what we do, right? God does not do that for Israel. He just says, hey, you know, it's so cool. You guys have slaves and you're bowing down to other idols and you've forgotten about me, and you've broken intimacy with me. Nah, don't worry about it. Just stay in Jerusalem, party on, have a fun time. He says, no, I'm going to take you from your home. 
and I'm going to put you over here for a time. And they're weeping and they're lamenting and they're, they're broken here in Babylon. So again, this first prayer, and I would encourage you to pray this, this week. I, I don't know, sometimes this could involve like literal weeping, right? When you really think about the loss of intimacy that you have with God because of the disobedient things that we do. That was a big one, huh? Guess it's just because it's the last week outside. I want everybody to know I'm a, I'm a real... <laughs> um, sorry. What's that? No, I was thinking more like a real like power preacher. Oh, <laughs> uh, what's that? A walkout? No, you walk. That is, you can walk out of it. Yeah. Right. All right. Verses three and four. Uh, there are captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Um, this author said, uh, or this pastor said, I love this. Teach me to sing songs in all circumstances. Teach me to sing songs in all circumstances. Jews, I mean, even to this day, you know, and, and Brian, you would probably even be able to speak more uh, on this than me, but just the, the Jewish kind of nation, they just love to sing, right? They always have, you know, always singing and dancing, and they loved it, and they loved to sing in Babylon. In the middle, one of the, one of the greatest books of the Bible is this songbook. The longest book in this Bible is this songbook. And we love these songs of praise and of thanksgiving and of worship and all those sorts of things. Half of the psalms are psalms of lament, are psalms of weeping, are songs of loss of intimacy or protection, right? Here's what I would like you to do. On your paper, on one side you're going to kind of maybe do a Z or a Zion and on the other side, you're going to do a B. You're going to draw a line in between and put a line right in the middle. Now, in your life, if you were just to kind of do a little reflecting on your own life, right? If you were just to kind of take a moment and look inside your soul, where do you, where do you sense that you're at? Do you sense maybe a little bit closer over here, Right? Maybe you've been in Babylon. You've just kind of been disobedient. You haven't been paying attention. You've been lost. You've been wandering. Maybe you've been over here. You're closer to Zion. Your heart's been full of praise, of worship, of prayer. Where would you put yourself, say, on this line? Right? If you're maybe in this half, and I don't want you, if you're, if you don't, don't, don't play the fence here. Don't ride the line. You got to choose a side, okay? Did anybody do that? Anybody go right in the middle? If you're over here towards Zion, right? A great psalm to sing. 
Psalm 138. Psalm of praise. Psalm of thanksgiving. A psalm of joy. If you're over here, kind of closer to Babylon, a psalm to sing. Psalm 86. Right? The, the, the goal here, again, is, is that we would sing songs in all circumstances. Because in life, there's going to be seasons here. And there's going to be seasons here. Right? But in life, that we would always, that our songs would always uh, teach my song to rise to you. In all occasions, in all circumstances. Right? Teach me to sing songs in all circumstances. I think I'm going to have to move over here. Here? Like that. That's life, right? I mean, and that is life because there's, there's seasons for both, and I understand that, and there's psalms for both, but that we would continue to cry out in both seasons of life, right? Number three. Make your presence and your people my chief joy. He says this in Psalm 137. This is verses 5 and 6. If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Um, Jerusalem was the city of God. It was where the people of God resided. It was shalom. It was unity. It was integration. It was the intersection of Yahweh and earth and humanity. It was all holiness. The song that we sang earlier this morning, and, and, and here's what I would do too um, with this one is kind of, again, using this as your prayer template. That song that we sang, Better Is One Day. I would, I would just listen, maybe either sing that song to yourself or, or pull it up on your music platform or, or find it. And as you're kind of working your way through this, you just really listen to this. Because when you sing that song, and sometimes we sing and we're like, yeah, I don't know if, if like, like there's some, I've had some pretty good days here. I don't know if maybe just one day really, like, but you really soak that in and you think about them lost in Babylon and they're sitting there by the rivers of Babylon weeping and lamenting and they're thinking to themselves if I just had one more day in Zion right that's where I want to be that's where I want to be and so this prayer we make God's presence and God's people our chief joy lastly
Help me leave vengeance to you alone. Help me leave vengeance to you alone. This kind of ends up in verses 7 through 9 where the, the kind of smashing of, of babies against the rocks again, right? Verses 7 through 9. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy are those who repay you according to what you have done. Happy are those who seize your infants and dash them against the rocks. Notice the psalmist isn't himself taking the vengeance here, right? He's powerless to do so. He has no agency by the rivers of Babylon. He is completely oppressed. He is crying out for someone else to take vengeance on the Edomites and on Babylon, right? Um, so we think about those, and vengeance is kind of this really, really strong word, right? This is maybe, but we think about the people who have wronged us. Right? We have these people who slight us and who offend us and who we disagree with and who we've walked away from. Um, A couple examples. I know in my family it's been like, how could that person vote for Trump? Are they serious? Like, that's a complete joke. I can't imagine somebody in their right mind could vote for Trump. And then there's other people in my family who think, Biden? They're voting, you're voting for Biden? Right? Like, are you serious? Like, do you understand what he... And you think about these people who kind of wronged you or you've been frustrated with or angry with, right? And we get all caught up in this and we think like, oh, I'm going to tell them and I'm going to get all my articles in a row and I'm going to send it to them and they're going to be, you know, or maybe somebody's wronged you. I was thinking about this example and this has not happened to me personally, so this isn't, but I was, maybe it's happened to you or you've heard about this happening Maybe you had a little get-together or, or, or some sort of a social distancing event or, I don't know, a party or something like that. And somebody says, nah, sorry, I can't make it, you know, the coronavirus, and I just can't do it. And then maybe like a, a couple days later, a week later, you see them on social media at some other event, and you're thinking to themselves, wait a second. You said you couldn't come to my thing because of coronavirus, and now you're over here at this thing, and, and you kind of feel that you felt slighted in some way. Um, maybe somebody's been talking behind your back. Right, I've been rewatching some of the episodes of Seinfeld, um, and there's this episode in Seinfeld where I can't think of the guy's name. I want to say it's Joe Davola or or maybe something else, but you know, one of the off characters calls Jerry a phony behind his back, <laughs> and Kramer tells him, and it's you know, the whole episode is about Jerry being called a phony. But people talk behind our backs, and sometimes that catches up to us, and it really hurts, right? And and they've wronged us. Um, maybe the person somebody's lied to you or just hasn't been telling the truth. Now, what I want you to do then here is you would write down somebody who's wronged you. So who is this person? You write down their name. And again, they voted for Trump. They voted for Biden. They didn't show up at your gig. They've been talking behind your back. They've been lying to you. They've been ignoring you. They owe you money. People have wronged us. And then what you do is you write down that person's name. You then begin to pray blessings 
and joy and peace and laughter and goodness over them. And you just pray over them because we leave vengeance, we leave all that anger, that hurt, that bitterness, that revenge. We leave that to God alone and we simply step out in the way that Christ did and we step out in forgiveness. So, um, I think that's about enough for this morning. And I'm looking at my watch and it's 11.10. And I had some questions to end with kind of about our time being outdoors. Um, But what I think we'll do is I think we'll open with that next week when we're back inside. So I'll make that kind of part of the sermon next week that we would just have some time like, has there been a memory from us? Maybe this is some things for you to think about for next week. Has there been a memory for you as we've been meeting outside? Have you had like a particular memory or something happened as we've been meeting outside? Um, There's that game that you can play, Two Truths and a Lie. I was thinking of two positives and a negative about being outside. If you were to say, hey, this was two positive things about being outside I loved, and this was something that wasn't so great. Um, And then we could flip that and say, is there two positives and a negative about, two positives and a negative about being indoors, right? And then my last question, again, we'll open with this next Sunday, just so I know that we'll get to it. Have you had any God moments in being outdoors? Have you had any God moments in being outdoors? So, I think we'll end there. Does that sound good? Let me say a prayer. And we'll practice a little bit of this prayer as we're closing. Lord, I confess my disobedience to you, the places where I've heard your voice, where you've spoken to me, where I know the right thing to do, And I forget. I get distracted. I choose, sometimes I willfully choose the wrong thing to do. When I'm angry, when I'm short, when I'm jealous, when I'm stingy. And God, that separates our relationship. That drives a wedge in between our relationship. And my heart breaks over that. God, this season that I'm in, I praise and I worship you and I thank you. God, thank you for being good to my family, holding us together over these last couple months. We celebrate your goodness. We are thankful for that. Lord, that I would make your presence and your people gathering together my chief joy. All else pales in comparison. Because better is one day with you, better is one day in the presence of Christ than all the most amazing days that this earth and this world has to offer. That one day I would see your face. That one day I would hold your hand. That one day we would embrace. That is my chief joy. And Lord, for the folks in my life who have wronged me, um, people in my family, Um, people in my neighborhood, um, people who I'm social with. Bless them, Lord. I entrust them to you that you would love them and guide them. You'd bring laughter to them, joy to them. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this church that's gathered together. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So that's kind of a little bit of homework for you guys this week, okay? And to the Facebook people, thanks for joining.